Did you guys see Ready Player One? That that Steven Spielberg movie, like the worst Steven Spielberg movie ever. <laughs> I, um, I, I both read the book and saw the yeah, movie. I really like the book. Okay movie. Pretty good movie. Okay. Well, it's um, it's kind of interesting as a premise because it's about this dystopian future where climate change has pretty much devastated civilization, yeah. except people are all playing this virtual reality game together. And that's where people find their happiness and their their intimacy and love is in this virtual and, reality. But the, And there's really good dystopia details. Yeah, that's I what like, I was hooked into. Yeah. I was born in 2027. After the corn syrup droughts, after the bandwidth riots, after people stopped trying to fix problems and just tried to outlive them. Dystopia plus Van Halen? What's the problem? <laughs> <laughs> My parents... They didn't make it through those times, so I live here in Columbus, Ohio with my Aunt Alice. In 2045, Columbus is the fastest growing city on Earth. It's where Halloween Okay, so, so like, maybe you guys could describe what we're seeing. So that's the main character, the protagonist, and he's basically walking through his trailer park, but... It's a vertical trailer park. They live in what are called the stacks, which are mobile homes stacked on top of each other like apartment buildings and you just, you know, climb up and down ladders and you live in your mobile home with 10, 12 other people, your family, and, and that's your life. Right. And so it seems like kind of a crazy future that is implausible or impossible, uh, except that we are seeing it actually kind of happening here in the United States of America. Well, certainly not the virtual reality part, but definitely the living in your car part. That's happening. Yeah, I mean, in California right now, the land where car is king, you've got entire communities being displaced by wildfires fueled by climate change. Yeah, it's, uh, it's converging crises. It's cars and homelessness, and those two things are crashing into each other. Welcome to the War on Cars, where we talk about all the things that we sacrifice when we make cars more important than people. I'm Sarah Goodyear. I'm here with my co-hosts, Doug Gordon and Aaron Napperstack. So just like we said, today we will be talking about the two converging crises of too many cars, not enough affordable housing. So how do we fight the war on cars when cars are the only humane option available to a lot of people? What happens when drive till you qualify sprawl meets car-blind liberalism in gentrifying cities? We're going to get some help in figuring out those connections today from Alyssa Walker, who's been covering this entire mess for Curbed LA and the LA podcast. But first, a reminder that we need your support to keep advancing the war on cars. If you would like to fund the fight against automobile dominance in our cities, head over to thewaroncars.org and click donate. And if you sign up as one of our patrons, we'll send you great rewards, including stickers, T-shirts, and you can wear that stuff while you're out there fighting the good fight. Okay, guys, so we're going to leave the comfortable confines of Brownstone, Brooklyn for once, and we're going to talk today about California, which is where this, this confluence of issues is really, it's really coming together probably more than any other place. So automobile dominance, obviously California, car is king, um, lack of affordable housing, and we're talking about sort of rampaging climate crisis in California in the form of wildfires and drought. So the numbers on homelessness in California are nuts. In Alameda County, which includes Berkeley and Oakland, the rate of homelessness has increased by 43% since 2017. In Los Angeles County, by the most recent count, 
there are about 59,000 people who don't have a place to call home, and that number is up 12% since just last year. But the kind of the mind-boggling number, at least here on the war on cars, is that an estimated 16,000 of these people are living in their cars. Yeah, that, the, that's remarkable. I mean, I think the thing about homelessness is that the stereotypical image of somebody sleeping on the sidewalk or in a tent in a park or something like that, obviously that's a huge problem in places like L.A., but when you add in this idea of people sleeping in their cars, it perpetuates this thing where homelessness is like invisible to a lot of people because a lot of these people have jobs. A lot of these people um, have places that they go during the day, but they just happen to also sleep in their cars. Right. And there's a lot of pushback uh, in communities who, you know, they don't want people parking on their streets and living in their cars. So one of the solutions that people have come up with is something called safe parking. Do you guys know about safe parking? Oh, I've like, not. I've not heard it's of like safe parking. Wear a condom while you park. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah. look in your mirror as you're parallel parking and right. pulling into is this a street. A traffic no, safe technique. parking is a movement. It's actually a really progressive and interesting idea where um, certain parking lots, municipal parking lots, school parking lots, sometimes big box stores, are designated as places where people can park safely at night. And they won't be harassed by the police. They won't be harassed by criminals. Uh, you know, it's a safe place to park and live. And and 14% of L.A. County is uh, parking. So it's actually a sensible solution in right, a like weird, dystopian America's way. has gotten really good at making sure that everybody has a car. Yep. America's gotten really good at making sure, like, most of our land use is parking lots. Yep. So, like... It's kind of obvious in a right. way. And you know, we've gotten really good at making cities unaffordable. Right. right. We, so. we, we do have affordable housing. It's just it's for cars. Right. So I'm going to play you a, a clip from an interview that's done by a guy named Mark Horvath. He documents people who have become homeless on a YouTube channel called Invisible People. And um, he went out to one of these safe parking lots at a VA hospital in Los Angeles and talked to a gentleman named Conrad who is living in a car there. And you're living in your car, you're a veteran. That shouldn't be. I mean, nobody should be living in their car unless they're you know, living a nomadic lifestyle. This isn't your choice. Yeah, it's not my choice, but uh, I'm doing it, trying to be closer to uh, some of my family uh, that I'm not with. So I'm just making the best of it. Sometimes, uh, we have to make some sacrifices in life, and that's what I'm doing, making a sacrifice. Yeah, that's, that's intense. Yeah. I mean, I just, you know, let's just stop and think about this. This state of California has an economy that is the fifth largest economy in the world. It just surpassed the UK. Right. I mean, there are just an almost infinite number of resources, and this is how the citizens of California veterans are, are being expected to live in their cars, in parking lots. I, I find this just so outrageous and, and depressing. Yeah. Well, you're not allowed to build housing hardly anywhere in a city in California right now. Yeah. That's part of the problem is that the, the restrictions, on, the zoning restrictions on where to build housing have created... Uh, just an absolutely crazy inflated housing market. And, um, so you've and got, it's right. Like you've got this booming economy. So you've got a lot of jobs. You've got a lot of demand. 
but like no one can afford to live near the jobs or a lot of people can't afford to live near the jobs if you're not being one of these like super well-paid tech workers. And so your choice then is like, well, am I going to put my money into a house or just keep this car so I can at least get to a job? And what a damning indictment of America that is, that if you had to pick between the two, you give up your house and not your car. Right. Like, so a lot of these people who are living in their cars is not just like they own their cars outright. They're probably still making car payments. They still have to pay for gas. Those things are not cheap, but they can't afford a mortgage or rent and monthly payments to actually have a place to live. But, you know, we make driving pretty cheap and car ownership relatively cheap. And there you go. That's why they're in this situation. And it's like the, it's almost like we've made the 21st century slum a Walmart parking lot you know, with a bunch of cars and people sleeping in them or something. It's like, that's the, that's the future of refugee camps and slums in North America. So Alyssa Walker, who writes for Curbed LA, has been writing a lot about the homelessness crisis and about the transportation crisis and the planning crisis in California. And so I called her to ask her about what's going on out there and help, help us understand this, this crazy mess. There's tragedy everywhere in in our state right now. I've lost a lot of faith in our state's government and our and our new governor who came in saying housing was his number one priority and that you know he wants to build three million units of housing and save people from falling into homelessness and protect you know the renter. I'm not sure if he actually said he was going to protect the renters, but it, it didn't it didn't work. So this reminds me a little bit of our previous episode on the liberal blind spot for cars. It's like here's a state that's you know the most progressive state in the country um with really powerful state government and for some reason they're not they're not being progressive on affordable housing. Right. I mean, their governor, Gavin Newsom, is the former mayor of San Francisco, arguably the most progressive city in the country, but also kind of the seat of the nation's housing crisis and affordability crisis. And they can't solve this problem because people don't want to solve this problem. Because people don't want large buildings going up next to their houses in Menlo Park or San Francisco or Palo Alto, wherever. Yeah, there actually was a a really interesting piece of legislation called SB 50 that was proposed in uh, this legislative session, this most recent legislative session in California. SB 50 got killed before it even came to a vote, correct? It just died in the legislature. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I mean, SB 50 was not a perfect piece of legislation, um, but it would have very directly addressed these issues, the connections between transportation and housing. Uh, and, and that was introduced, I think, by Scott Weiner. Right. He uh, used to be a, what do you call it, in San a city council member, a supervisor in San Francisco. And he recently became a state senator. And his first, one of his first really big pieces of legislation was this thing called SB 50, which was designed to uh, upzone all of the counties in California. Upzoning is when um, a city uh, makes it easier, essentially, to build larger buildings. So a place that maybe has um, zoning regulations that only permit single family housing will upzone and then you can build a small apartment building. It also wasn't part of it that they would upzone near transit stations. Like for example, a lot of the BART stations um, in Berkeley or in San Francisco are just surrounded by parking. (laughs) And so instead they would say, you know, a better use of that space is a four or five story mixed use 
building with residences and businesses on the ground floor. And this turned into a big sort of like, yeah. a lot of people were against this. It was like if you're a quarter mile from rail or ferry, you can build a building that's like 55 feet tall. And actually, which is not very tall by New York standards. A, a lot of uh, two thirds of voters polled said that they were in favor of this. But somehow it died in the legislature and it was blocked uh, in particular by one Democrat from a wealthy suburb. Uh, who said the state, quote, needed to take a breath before, right. you know, was getting it one of those, so... Was it like a Marin County guy? I, I, I can't remember what yeah. county it's guys really, from. It's really, you know, uh, the state needed to take a breath. I mean, California has been holding its breath on building more housing for like 20 or 30 but years at least. You can't breathe in California because <laughs> right, of in all the, the smog. Because yeah. it's literally burning. Yeah, right. it's, on, it's on fire. And uh, but it's a little bit more complicated than that because some opposition also came from people who were worried about further gentrification in, in the inner city uh, where there's been so much displacement. And Alyssa, Alyssa had some stuff to say about that. The big concern with SB 50 was that, you know, a, a lot of this development or a lot of these taller buildings are going to go into neighborhoods that are, you know, have already seen a lot of change, a lot of gentrification, a lot of people displaced because of this quest of wanting to live closer to transit, which is now, you know, building our train lines have, has now caused a lot of this displacement because people want to live by them. But there you have, I think, a basic supply and demand problem, right? Like we don't have enough places in this country where you can live car free near transit and easily get to your office and then get back home to your home or your apartment building. So when you build this stuff, inevitably it fills up very quickly because there isn't a lot of it. So I, I understand the gentrification fears, but the only way out of that is just to keep building, to keep building, to keep building. Well, what's, what's sad is that it's becoming a luxury good to live in a place where you can get to your job by transit it's it's because or to, or you know where you can live without having to drive 2 hours to your job is becoming something that's only available to to the very rich and part of that in California also has to do with uh with legislation that was passed in the 70s called proposition 13 that put a cap on property taxes and and just has people holding on to housing. So see, there are people who have bought their homes maybe before the 70s, before they perceived things to be changing. Their houses are now worth two, three, four million dollars, and they don't think anyone else should be able to live on their block. And there is this like language these groups speak in, right? And it's always that, oh, the traffic is so bad. Traffic has gotten so much worse. And it's these tall buildings that are causing the traffic. And it's these people living in apartments and they, they park their cars on my street and they're driving down my street like how dare they how dare all these people be here where i am it's just like <laughs> i mean we've we've heard this before it's right this shit. is it's the same shit that that you hear when it's like when the people propose a new transit line well all these people are going to come yeah i got mine that's the big disease that seems to be infecting all of america these days i mean there, there's also this weird american thing of not trusting urban planning or not doing urban planning. You know, a lot of the problem here is that, you know, there, there's some validity to this. Like you're going to build, you're going to build more density in a place that's totally car dependent. You're, you're probably going to get more cars and traffic. I mean, there's, there's like an element of truth to that. Um, that's why when you build more density, you also need to plan 
for less automobile dependence. And there are some places that are doing this well, like Seattle is apparently doing this really well right now. They're getting more density downtown, but they're building more transit, so they're actually getting less traffic congestion. Places like London and Paris and Madrid and Seoul, South Korea and Bogota, like lots of cities know how to do this, but we seem like we we don't, we have so little trust for urban planning. We but like I, don't do it. I something. also think it's not just a mistrust of urban planning, but it's, so you have a city or a town with lots of single family homes that people bought, let's say in the seventies and eighties for, you know, $70,000, $100,000 tops. And now they're worth $2 million. Well, guess who lives in those places today? The same people. Yeah. And so when you talk about uh, proposing zoning changes, who shows up to the community board meeting or the, or the zoning meeting? All the people who own right. those homes. Who doesn't show up? All the people who don't yet live in <laughs> right. those places right. that they aren't have no yet, voice they're, they're not yet built, so they don't live there. So there's a misrepresentation in terms of um, who has a voice, who has a seat at the table. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and, and those same people, I mean, what's really frustrating, and this goes again, back to this sort of liberal blind spot about cars and about smarter development is that, you know, these same people who are like, oh my God, there are, we can't have those people driving into my neighborhood. I can't have more people in my neighborhood are exactly the same people who say, you know, how progressive they are. And, and actually Alyssa said, there's been some pretty funny stuff uh, that, that people have been called out on social media about that in California. You've seen these in, in different, uh, you know, shared on social media where they have like a, you know, Black Lives Matter, everyone is welcome sign. But then it's also like no to this building that would be five stories and, you know, cast shadows on my on my lawn. Right. It's it's the it's the immigrants are welcome here signs next to the no 10 story buildings. It's like immigrants are welcome here, but don't give them a place to live. Yeah. And I mean, so much of this is generational there is this kind of generational warfare underway of people who kind of got got theirs in the 70s and 80s and they're not they're not just not letting a, a new generation come in and, and get what they need from cities henry graybar just had a great piece in slate about this about you know um richer older people who are basically with you know have this attitude of like hey you know i got mine and i want things to stay the same until i guess they die right exactly and i'm not going to have to deal with you know, that all of our cities are going to be disappearing underwater, you know, so I'm just going to enjoy my garden in the meantime. But do you think, I mean, like, we're kind of old. Like, are we going to well, be like that? Thing. Are we going to get Here's like the this? other thing. Here's the other I thing. I can't imagine being that way. That's it's the thing. It's like practically illegal to be old in the United States of America, right? It's so uncool to be old, right? That all of us spend so much time pretending that we're not old, right? Or like being embarrassed about being old that we can't even confront the fact that, guess what? You're getting old all the time, every second, and you're not going to be able to live this way anymore. You're going to have to face the fact that you're older. And a lot of people who are getting displaced are old people. And Alyssa talked about that too. A lot of people are getting older and won't be able to drive much longer. Our population is aging very quickly as as any population is in the United States, but ours is, is particularly troubling because so many people rely on cars to get around. So... Are, are you going to just stay in your house until you die? Probably. That's what most people are doing. People are holding on to their single family homes. Um, but just but really how they think they're going to get around and how they think they're going to have their families and their caregivers be able to afford to live near them and to see them frequently. So we, we should stop for a second because I know we're going to get 
emails from people saying, you know, well, I'm over 70 and I'm in favor of all this stuff. And we're, we're ages and we're ages. And I, what I, I've responded to this in the past elsewhere. What I always say, it's a sort of like, um, all puppies are dogs, but not all dogs are puppies sort of logic, right? Okay, like, so when enough. you, so for example, when you go to a, uh, a community meeting on housing or transportation, a bike lane or something like that, generally the people who are against the thing are old, not all, but generally. And the people who are in favor are pretty mixed, pretty mixed. There are old people among the, the pro bike lane, the pro bus lane people, but it does break down kind of generationally. And I, I think that's a truth that we probably should I mean, not be afraid of. It's, it's, that's, it's a reality. Like you see it at every one of these, like, right. So, the, so there are protests. people who are over the age of 70. My dad is a great example who like shows up to his town meeting in Brookline, Massachusetts, always in favor of things like bike share stations and, and more housing. But for the most part, he's greeted for every one of him. There's 10 guys his same age who are against this stuff. Right. We're going to, we're going to, it's be, a real problem. What are we, we're going to, we're going to be showing up at meetings when we're 70, like these op- damn opposing. hoverboard lanes, <laughs> yeah. these telepaths in your and, drones. Yes. These teleportation around. centers. I don't want them on my block. <laughs> right. But I mean, I guess the question is like, are we just waiting for all the rich old people to die off? Like, will that solve the problem? Like, no, or, that's or a horrible, just horrible planning no, process. We, waiting for people to look, die is a horrible look, planning process. We want, we want them to, we want them to live comfortable lives at Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville <laughs> senior right. community, which by the way, is a real thing. If you want to write in and accuse us of ageism, if you want to write in and accuse us of ageism, now you can do it. Feel free. Uh, right, feel free. Right cross, now. No, but look, she brings up a really good thing because for example, if you live in a two story Victorian house in San Francisco, that is worth $3 million and it's too big for you and you're getting older and you don't want to go up and down the stairs anymore and you decide to sell that place. Well, guess what? You're probably going to have to pour that two or three million dollars into a tiny one bedroom apartment. It's not like, you know, everything else is cheaper around you and only your house has gone up. Everything has gone up. So we're we're doing it all wrong in the sense of like we're not building enough housing. So if you want to downsize as you get older, you can't afford to do that. I mean, I I worry about that with my parents. Where are they going to go? Like if my mother needed to move to New York to be closer to me. We couldn't afford for what she could sell her apartment for where she lives. She couldn't afford to live here. But what's horrifying about this, though, is that like, we're, you know, we're in this kind of climate crisis now and we need to move and make changes really quickly to decarbonize the economy, to change certain patterns about the way we live. Um, and we're, you know, we're kind of stuck right now. We need to be moving. The stuff that we're building right now is going to be. Um, it's going to be there for the next 20 or 30 years. At least we are setting the patterns for how this next generation is going to live and we need to move on this stuff. Okay. So wait a minute. We we're talking about housing a lot and that's certainly very important, but we're also the war on cars. Um, and Alyssa talked a little bit about seniors and, and, you know, having to give up the car keys. Like how do we solve that other problem of like creating spaces where you live, where you don't have to have a car where seniors can get around, where people who can't afford one thing or the other can choose housing over a car. Like, what's the solution here? Well, okay. So maybe part of the solution is actually cars. Okay. (laughs) That's crazy. So a a few years ago, I I was at the Congress for New Urbanism Mm -hmm. thing, and Andres Duaney, who's like one of the, you know, patriarchs, the gurus of the CNU, was there talking. And he had this whole shtick, which at the time seemed pretty ridiculous to me, um, 
uh, about mobile homes. He believed that mobile homes were in some ways the future of urbanism, that because we have such restrictive zoning policies, because it's so hard to build anywhere, uh, he was arguing we should just start building housing out of mobile homes because pretty much all of America has incredibly easy access to parking. Um, Mobile homes are cheap and fast and easy to build, and we could design them nicer. So he was making this argument that the future of housing was actually something like what's happening in California or, or what we saw in Ready Player One. All right. Well, here's another solution that I heard about that's happening, which is that the gig economy is meeting the housing crisis in that there are people out there who are actually using Lyft and Uber affordable car leasing options. Right. Like 0% financing, right, get a car which, for free virtually. Yeah. U- exactly. Uber basically gives you a car essentially. Right. In order that they can have housing. So their job and their housing are the same thing. And it's a car. How about that? How about that for a future? That's awful. That that might explain why we're about to have like a massive economic crash based on like defaulted car loans. Yeah. Right. Like that's also exploding right now. Yeah. The subprime uh, car crisis. Isn't isn't capitalism great? It is. I mean, my God. But no, it's like, it's like what we're describing is this kind of like weird car based you know, indentured servitude or car-based slum. I mean, it really is like so much of this uh, uh, current American dystopia is built around this car-based lifestyle that we've created. So look, lovely hipster looking mobile homes are not going to be the solution to our problems because the same people who oppose uh, housing development are just going to like pressure their elected officials to reach, to change the zoning so you can't put mobile homes in a Walmart parking lot and they're going to change the parking regulations so you can't sleep in your cars. What is what are the real long-term solutions that are happening hopefully in California but everywhere else? Okay, so Alyssa spoke a little bit about that. I think the only thing that is really going to change is a group of people who are going to run or start creating policy around this idea of taking care of our housing and transportation and climate crises. As a holistic thing, which I think uh, there's been policies proposed that have done that. And that's why SB 50 was, if it wasn't a perfect piece of policy or executed perfectly, it did take all those things in equal consideration. It was originally proposed, you know, as a way to reduce greenhouse gases. So, yeah, holistic, uh, holistic policy. Yeah, because you know what Americans are really good at. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> nuanced, nuanced, holistic policymaking. But, you know, the good news is that, I mean, the solutions are there and people are really starting to fight for them in the political realm. It's like we know that we need more housing in denser places like cities and we need that housing to be affordable. We know that we need more transit so that places aren't as automobile dependent. And we know that we need all of this stuff to produce less greenhouse gas emissions. And we basically have policies emerging now. I mean, like SB 50 was a huge advance. And just because it didn't pass this go round doesn't mean it's not going to pass like next year or the year after. I mean, I really think we are not. I hate to be the optimist here, but I think we are moving in the right direction. (laughs) Wow. On this very special episode of the war on cars. Um, No, I also think uh, Alyssa is right that you need those elected officials like you need that elected official or that one person or that group of people who say, yes, we are actually going to put this apartment building up and it's not going to have a parking garage. And while we do that, 
we're going to take a lane of car traffic on the adjacent street and we're going to put in a bus lane. And you just need the people who are doing that. And I do think those people are out there, Scott Weiner being a really good example, who understand that. And and like you said, hopefully the next go round they'll succeed. Yeah. And there will be more and more people who who understand that this stuff needs to happen and and that it's it's actually worth taking the political risk of standing for it. Somebody like Corey Johnson, the speaker of the New York City Council, getting up there and saying the words break car culture over and over again. There are going to be more people like that. The problem is, is it going to happen before, you know, is it going to happen in time? Um, is it going to happen fast enough? So we just need to to move much faster. And um, and that's that's what I'm worried about. Well, I also think, you know, American politics needs a very large dose of empathy. And I think that we all, the three of us, don't want a future where people are sleeping in parking lots, sleeping in their cars. I think part of the problem you're seeing in places like California is everybody hates homelessness, but some people only hate it to the extent that they see it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and we need to probably inject a little more empathy for the people who are taking these very onerous car loans so that they can live in their car and say like that, that's just not a solution. We don't want anyone living like that. Yeah. If you had three wishes, what would they be? Uh, I'm not going to make three wishes. I just want the one wish so I can get enough so I can get in some, uh, some housing. Great wish. So there you have it, folks. The podcast that is encouraging a military-style mobilization against the automobile says more empathy, please. Yes. More empathy for people in cars. Yes. <laughs> for people yes. in cars. Okay. Uh, that's, I quit. that's it. Okay. <laughs> On that note, um, we'd like to thank you for listening to another episode of The War on Cars. And this is still The War on Cars. Uh, we'd like to give a big thanks to Alyssa Walker for helping us to understand what's happening in California. And we're going to put links to her work, including LA Podcast, in the show notes. We'll also include a link to Invisible People, where you can see a lot more video interviews of people who have become homeless by Mark Horvath and see more about the work he's doing. Remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That helps people find us. Also, we're hoping to do another mailbag episode for the beginning of the summer, end of the spring. So please send us a short voice memo, about 30 seconds if you can keep it to that. Send it to thewaroncars at gmail.com. Let us know what you're thinking. If you have questions you'd like us to address, if you have a comment about something we've covered in the past, we want to hear it. We would like to thank our top sponsors, including Charlie G of Human Powered Law in Portland, Oregon, as well as the Law Office of Vaccaro and White in New York City. We also have a very new and very generous patron, Huck Finney and his wife, Elizabeth. So thank you very much for your generosity. This episode was produced by Jamie Kaiser and recorded by Josh Wilcox at the Brooklyn Podcasting Studio. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Goodyear. Our logo is by Danny Finkel of Crucial D Designs. I'm Sarah Goodyear. I'm Doug Gordon. I'm Aaron Napperstack. And this is the war on NIMBY baby boomers. Aaron's email is Aaron at... (laughs) And this is generational warfare. Nothing less. Yeah. Millennials, come save us. They're good. You know, first they came for the baby boomers and I said nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this is the war on cars.